Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, Jack. One, two. One, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. Some students are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But with a boost from you, 100% of them will have a better chance to make it to graduation. Go to BoostUp.org to find out how to give the high school students in your community the boost they need to make it through. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Noah's Ark. Now, why was it so big? Answers with Ken Ham, co-author of the best-selling The New Answers Book. You know, one of the most frequently asked questions posed by skeptics concerns how Noah got all the animals on the ark. You see, mocking evolutionists claim, well, Noah couldn't have fit the supposed millions of animals needed. But Noah didn't need that many animals. Only representatives of each kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing animal were to go on board. Our research scientists have shown that there can be many different species within each kind. For example, there are dingoes, wolves, coyotes, domestic dogs, and all these belong to the same kind. Plus, the Bible says the ark was huge. Perhaps only a half of the ark space was needed for the animals. So why was it so big? Well, maybe it was because God allowed room for people who might repent and come on board and thus be saved. But only Noah's family believed. You know, Noah's ark is really a picture of salvation, and Christ is our modern-day ark of salvation. We'll answer your questions about the ark and flood of Noah in our new pocket guide, available to you for a donation of any size today. To get this excellent 95-page ark guide, call us toll-free 24 hours a day at one 888 89 answers. We'll also send you information about the Noah's Ark we're building. For the excellent guide, call 888-89-ANSWERS or on our website of AnswersOffer.org. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata, and everywhere you look in Scripture, widows and orphans have a very special place in God's heart. But just why did God make such a big deal of caring for widows and orphans? Because widows cannot help that their husbands die. Orphans aren't responsible for their parents leaving them. The predicament of the orphan and the widow is the responsibility of God. He allowed it in his sovereign will. And so, if this is such a great concern for God, shouldn't it be for us as well? In Jeremiah chapter 49, God says, I will protect the orphans who remain among you. Your widows, too, can depend on me for help. And the way God will go about doing that is through your home, your hospitality, and your love. Surely you know a woman whose husband died or have heard of children in foster care. Today, make God's concern for them your concern. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Indeed. 
This is Morty Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Good morning. This is your early morning gospel program. Morning inspirations. It's now 26, 26 minutes past the hour. And now, excuse me, for our morning prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning saying thank you, first of all, this morning, starting us on our way, say thank you, Lord.
back at the top of the hour. Tune. said the only difference between a stumbling block and a stepping stone is what you make of it. Today, John McCarthy helps you avoid stumbling over those gray area issues that scripture seems to neither prohibit or approve. Stay with us for Grace to You. trying to pick a career, how do you know whether God wants you to go into full-time ministry, uh, join the business world, be a lawyer, practice medicine? Maybe you're facing another life-changing question, should I marry this person? Which church should I attend? Bottom line, with every decision you make, how can you be sure that you're doing what God wants you to? That's an issue that most Christians, even mature ones, struggle with, and thankfully you don't have to guess what God's will is as John MacArthur will show you today on Grace to You. Learn how to make biblical decisions as John continues the study. If God's will is so important, why can't I find it? And with the lesson titled, Making the Hard Decisions Easy, here's John MacArthur. The Bible is very explicit on matters of sin. There's not any reason to uh, wonder what it is that God forbids. You can start with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, And the Lord lays out the things that he does not permit. There are other things which God commands us to do, and not to do those is sin. We are not in the dark about sin. The things explicitly spelled out in the Scripture are very clear to us. We know what's wrong. We also know what is right in regard to many things, for God has given us very clear word on that. And we don't want to talk about what is explicitly right and what is explicitly wrong in the Scripture. We want to talk a little bit about what falls in the middle, because that really poses the difficult problem when it comes to decision-making. If somebody proposes to you the possibility of lying, cheating, stealing, killing somebody, committing adultery, coveting, that's pretty obviously not acceptable. If somebody proposes to you the idea of reading the Bible, praying, witnessing, sharing the Lord Jesus Christ and his word with someone who needs to hear it, that's pretty obviously right. But what about all that stuff in the middle to which the Bible doesn't explicitly speak? And this is a large category. Uh, There are some people who believe television is a sin. If you own a television, you're not spiritual. There are other people who are zombies. They stare at that box. doesn't matter what's on. Even a test pattern tickles their fancy. And they'll watch it as long as the fuse lasts. Some people would say that if you go to a movie, you've committed a sin. If you enter into a theater, you're participating in ungodliness. If you plunk down your, uh, I don't know whatever it costs to go to a theater, uh, that you are paying money into the godless movie-producing industry. Other people say, well, you can go to a movie and it's a diversion, it's recreational, you can see the beauty of certain scenery and so forth. 
There are people who think that if you do anything on Sunday other than sit and read the Bible, uh, you have entered into sin. You're not. Uh, when I was a little guy growing up, I can remember when we were back in, uh, particularly on the East Coast in Philadelphia, you were not allowed to do anything on Sunday that even remotely resembled recreation. We came home in our little Lord Fauntleroy suits with the little stiff collar and little tie and sat on the couch all day. Couldn't read the funny papers, couldn't read the sports page, couldn't look at television, couldn't go out in the yard and play catch, couldn't take a walk. We sat. The only sin we could commit, and we could commit that sin all we wanted, was the sin of gluttony. We could literally gorge ourselves uh, on Sunday. And, of course, uh, most of the women spent all morning cooking up this massive meal by which we sinned all afternoon but couldn't, <laughs> but couldn't run it off. And so we were stuck with the consequence of our evil. But that sin was tolerable, and in most evangelical circles it still is, as given evidence by the shape of most evangelicals. But anyway, <laughs> we'll stay away from that one. Um, I remember as a little boy that you could play cards. You could play cards as long as the cards didn't have jokers, spades, clubs, and those other things. If they had anything else but those, they were okay. But if they printed those on them, that was sinful, and no self-respecting person would ever pick up a card and see one of those markings on it without dropping it immediately lest he commit some evil. Now you could play um, pit and scream and shout and throw things, and that was all right, but watch what's on the card. There are people who believe certain clothing styles are basically reflective of a sinful society. Now... I don't understand the fashions today. I really don't. Personally, I believe God is symmetrical. You understand that? I believe God is symmetrical. He likes the same thing on both sides of you. But I see... But, uh, see, I see clothes that go every which way. I mean, crazy things like exploding things and everything all around. But I think God is a god of symmetry. But anyway, that's just me. I like a pocket on both sides of my shirt. What can I say? <laughs> and there are some people who um, some people who feel that certain musical styles are, are sinful. Rock music is uh, sinful, and we might even agree with that. Country and Western is definitely sanctified. They must not be listening to the words. <laughs> there are some people who think that uh, it's okay to have uh, boys and girls together swimming, and there are some who believe that's a sin. They call that mixed bathing, and that is forbidden. But there are a lot of things like that that enter into the area where the Scripture really doesn't have anything to say, and so we're left with having to make some decisions. Now, the easy way is to make up a list of rules. That's very easy. We'll just decide. We'll get a committee, and we'll say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. We'll just live by those rules, and if you keep the rules, we'll call you spiritual, and if you don't keep the rules, we'll call you fleshly. That's the easy way out. As Christians, we need to know how to make decisions about those kinds of things. There are these things that face us every single day in our life. How do we decide? Well, I'm going to give you two handfuls of uh, principles, all right? We're just going to lay them before you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them except to share them with you. These are the things that I use in my own personal life. Uh, I sat down one day and just wrote them down just out of my own experience. I didn't have to go study to figure them out. These are the things that I ask myself periodically whenever I'm faced with making a decision that isn't black or white in Scripture. 
The sooner you learn to apply these things, the more you will enjoy your spiritual experience and understand what it means to be free in Christ and yet submissive to his perfect purpose. Number one, I ask this question. Will it be spiritually profitable? Will it be spiritually profitable? Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful. Now, let me qualify that by saying this. All things that are not unlawful are lawful. That's what he means. There are some things in Scripture that are already said to be unlawful or sinful. He's not talking about those things. What he's saying here is all things that are not unlawful are lawful. Okay? All things in that sort of middle ground, that non-moral area, are lawful for me. All things not unlawful are lawful to me, but all things are not. Now, this word literally means to my advantage. They are not to my spiritual advantage. They don't profit me. So I ask myself the question that Paul is posing right here. Will my doing this enhance my spiritual life? Will it cultivate godliness? That's a fair question. That's a basic question. Will it cultivate godliness? Will it be profitable to me? Will it be to my advantage? Will it profit me? There are some things that are not wrong. I think about sleep. Sleep is not wrong. Sleep is good. I try to do that now and then. I'd like to do it more than I'm able. But there's nothing wrong with sleep. In fact, there's nothing wrong with sleeping in. Do you ever look forward to a morning when you could sleep in? Sure you do. Sometimes it's Sunday morning, but the Lord will punish you for that. (laughs) But, I mean, we all look to those times when we want to sleep in. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. But that good thing of sleeping in and, and collecting your physical strength, if done too frequently, will not be to your spiritual profit because it will cultivate what? Laziness. In and of itself, it is not wrong, but it creates a habit of dullness and overdone. It is not to your benefit. There are many things like that in life. Whatever they might be, you ask yourself the question, will it be spiritually beneficial? Will it be to my profit, to my advantage? Will it cultivate godliness? In other words, I'm not looking at life from the standpoint of, boy, can I do this and get away with it? I'm looking at life, can I do this and have it increase my godliness? Will it be spiritually profitable? Let's call this the principle, and you can write this one down, of expedience. The principle of expedience. Is it expedient for my spiritual benefit? Principle number two, and I'm just touching lightly on these. Principle number two, and it's a very close parallel, will it build me up? Will it build me up? The first one simply looks at it in isolation. Will it profit me spiritually in itself? The second question, will it put me on the path to greater spiritual maturity? Will it build me up? 1 Corinthians 10.23. Go over a few chapters. 1 Corinthians 10.23. He gives basically the same idea. All things are lawful. That is, all things that are not unlawful are lawful. All things that aren't right or that aren't wrong in themselves. All things that are not unlawful are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. Same thought. Then this. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not, what? Build me up. 
So I asked the question, will it build me up? The word is oika demeo means to build a house. Will it, will it add to my life things that increase my spiritual stability, strength, and maturity? 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, let all things be done unto edification. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.19, we do all things, dearly beloved, to build you up. In 1 Corinthians 9, back a chapter, verse 24, Paul says, you know that we run and we all run in a race, but only one receives a prize, so run that you may win the prize. Every man that competes in athletics is temperate, that is self-controlled in all things. Why? Because he wants to win. Verse 27, I bring my body into subjection. Literally, he says, I keep under my body means to give it a black eye. I punch my body in the eye, if you will. I buffet my body, not buffet my body. I buffet my body. <laughs> I give my body a black eye for the purpose, for the purpose of keeping it under control in order that what I do may be self-edifying. I make my body my slave would be another way to translate that. Frankly, and this is an honest thing for us to admit, most of us are slaves to our bodily desires, right? I mean, we basically respond to whatever physical impulses are there. That's why I've always said in the matter of uh, self-control and self-discipline, there are several key elements. To be a self-disciplined person, you have to train yourself in discipline. And I use a lot of little practical things like, uh, for one thing, always do the most difficult task, what? First, that helps you to learn self-discipline. Another one that helps me is always be on time. In order to do that, you've got to order the diverse elements of your life all to converge to have you in the right spot at the right moment when you're supposed to be there. That's a control. That, that indicates you can pull the pieces together and, and manage. And another one that helps me is learn to say no when you have every right to say yes. In other words, when you have a right to go out and just have a great big huge meal and top it off with, a, you know, a hot fudge sundae or whatever, just say no so that you can say to your body, see, I'm still in charge. Cultivate self-control. When you control your desires with your mind, your spiritual mind, you exercise the right muscles in training yourself for godliness. So I ask myself the question, if I do this, Will it build me up? Will it strengthen me? Will it move me toward Christ-likeness, toward greater spiritual maturity? Let's call that the principle of edification. So the principle of expedience and then the principle of edification. The third principle, and for this one, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's ask a third question. You ready for this? Will it... And this is the negative side of the two we just mentioned. Will it slow me down in the race? If I'm running, as 1 Corinthians 9 says, if I'm running to win the prize, if I'm running to obtain, then I have to ask myself if this will slow me down. Notice verse 1 of Hebrews 12. We are in a race, the race of faith. We have seen in chapter 11, a host of people who live by faith, and they are living witnesses of the validity of living by faith. They are the cloud of witnesses who tell us to live by faith. You know, back there at the beginning, um, verse 4, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith 
Jake, uh, Isaac, Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses. Then it goes on to talk about by faith the walls of Jericho fell down, by faith the harlot Rahab, and then Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, on and on and on, men and women, all living by faith. Now, with so many people testifying to the significance of the life of faith, we are also to live by faith, to run the race of faith. Now, in order to do it successfully, notice verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the key that I want you to notice, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Now, what do you conclude from that? That the weight is different than what? Sin. We are to lay aside sin, and we're to lay aside the weight. Well, what's the difference? To run in this agon, from which we get the word agony, which is the word for race, this demanding, grueling life of faith requires determination, perseverance, self-discipline. And in order to do that, we have to lay aside every weight as well as sin. Now, what is every weight? The word is ankas. It simply means bulk. Bulk. It isn't sin. It's just needless bulk. Something that weighs us down, diverts our priorities, takes our attention, sucks our energy, dampens our enthusiasm for the things of God. Now let's take an athlete who's going to compete in the 100 meters. And let's say that before he ran in the 100 meters, say in a world-class event, he went out and got drunk and committed sins of dissipation and then came in and tried to run. He would be running without having set aside sin. He sinned against his own body and sucked out his strength. But let's assume that he trained perfectly, that he did everything he was supposed to do in the process of preparation. He was in top physical shape. Everything was as it ought to be in his training. His moral life was clean. He didn't dissipate his body, but he came in and decided to compete in combat boots and a wool overcoat. That wouldn't be sinful, but it would be pretty stupid. That would be unnecessary bulk. Let me put it simply to you. Is it sinful to go out uh, with your wife on a Saturday night and have a late dinner and just eat a nice big meal and then go for a drive and sit in front of the moon at the beach and tell your wife how much you love her and go home at 2 o'clock? Is that sinful? No. You say, I wish my husband would do that. But let's add one other dimension. You have a prayer meeting at 8 o'clock Sunday morning, and you have to teach the Word of God at 8.30. Let me tell you, it's not sinful to do that, but it is a lot of unnecessary bulk that will have an impact on what you're able to do the next morning. So there are some things in our lives that we restrict for no other reason than that they would slow us down in the race, right? That's why for me, for example... Saturday night is a very sacred time. It is a do-nothing time. I can remember when my boys were playing football games, and uh, I can remember Saturday night football games, and I would go out, and when your son is playing football, you get into the thing. I get into it anyway, 
having played so much and loving the game, and you're watching your son and your emotions are running high at a fever pitch, and you come back and you're playing the game over and over, especially if your son breaks his leg and he's in the hospital and he severed his femur right at the growth plate and we're there half the night and we've got to get up the next day and preach the word of God and um, so forth. You get your emotions and your mental processes running down the wrong channel. Now, it's not sinful to go watch your son play baseball or football unless you think football is a sin, and uh, that's your privilege, I guess. But the point is, you add to your life unnecessary bulk. You don't need that. You don't need to encumber yourself with that. There's lots of forms of bulk. Legalism, ceremonialism, needless waste of time that sucks your energy and fouls up your priorities. So you ask yourself a simple question. Will it slow me down in the spiritual race? Anything that impinges upon my effectiveness in serving Christ, I won't do that. It might be something that in itself is not evil, but it becomes a needless weight for me to bear. Let's call this the principle of excess. Of excess. Number four. Number four. Will it bring me into bondage? Will it bring me into bondage? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Back to the verse we started with. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Listen to this. All things that are not unlawful are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient or profitable than this. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of what? Of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not allow anything to master me. To master. We should never allow a non-moral thing to become our master. And yet there are people, think of it. Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You've made him just a bit lower than the holy angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over creation. He rules the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea. He rules the land and all it produces, man, the king of the earth. But isn't it amazing how he yields up his sovereignty to the stupid little things? How many men have turned into absolute slobbering, blithering idiots because they can't control what comes out of grapes? How many people have ended up dead because they can't deal with tobacco? How many people literally have their lives totally run by a television, which is a bunch of wires that were invented by man, the king of the earth? All of a sudden, television is king. He, television is sovereign, and man is nothing but a slave to that. Drugs, invented really and discovered by man for the benefit of those who have need of them, becomes the master of so many men, so many women. There are many things that can enslave us that come from creation which God designed to be ruled by us. So I ask myself the question, will this put me into bondage? I remember a particular preacher who was preaching the circuit in evangelism and finally had to leave evangelism because he was so engulfed in losing money in golf that he literally bankrupted himself, getting to the point where he was playing for three and $400 a hole in a golf match. There are a lot of people in this world controlled by a little round ball like that. A lot. There are those kinds of things that inherent in them take control of us. Take control of us. I watch that happen with music. Young people who are dominated by that. I watch 
people who who are literally paralyzed if they can't get home and see the next edition of the soap opera. So many things can bring us into bondage. Let's call this the principle of enslavement. So we ask, will it bring me into bondage? Does it have the potential to make me its slave? The principle of enslavement. John MacArthur, helping you apply practical truth from Scripture to every decision. The title of his current study here on Grace to You, If God's Will is So Important, Why Can't I Find It? Now, as John is uh, showing you in the series, the game plan for knowing God's will is clearer than you may have, uh, may have realized, uh, so don't concern yourself about what Scripture doesn't say. Instead, you need to focus on everything it does reveal. Fair summary, John? Well, sure. Wasn't it Mark Twain who said, it's not the things I don't know that bother me, it's the things I do know? Obviously, we want to focus on the truth. We want to focus on what God has revealed. There are speculative Christians who, uh, who are running around saying, I'm listening for the voice of God. And, and there are ministers, and there are books that fill up Christian bookstores telling you how to listen for the voice of God. You can go to a seminar, supposedly learn how to listen for the voice of God. You know the bottom line. He has spoken, and he has spoken in his word. If you want to hear the voice of God, go to his word. You don't need to sit around in a vacuum hoping something is going to come by way of new revelation from heaven. It's not. And you can be led astray by those kinds of whimsies. You need to know what is in Scripture. That is God's word for you. To help you understand that, we have the MacArthur Study Bible. That's a Bible text with explaining notes at the bottom of every page. We have it in a brand new edition, the English Standard Version. That's a new translation just in the last few years. An excellent, outstanding translation of the Old Testament and the new, the English Standard Version. Coupled with that great faithful text are 25,000 footnotes, all kinds of graphs and charts and lists and indexes and concordance and doctrinal statements and it's just a full theological resource in one volume. It's available in the New American Standard Version, which is what I preach from, the New King James and the ESV. Hardbound, leatherbound, premium calfskin. We've got it all. Something to fit your budget. Get a hold of these. It'll make a huge difference in your understanding of Scripture. Friend, if you hunger for God's Word, if you want to dig deep into its truth and find out what it means by what it says, the MacArthur Study Bible is an ideal resource to help you do that. Order your copy. Call or go to our website today. The toll-free number here is 1-800-55-GRACE and the web address gty.org. Whether you're a brand new Christian, you've followed Christ for years, even if you're a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a Bible study leader, the MacArthur Study Bible can expand your understanding of Scripture. Study Bible is in hardcover, costing $35, or a leather edition at $65, and remember, shipping is free. Place your order. It's now available, remember, in the English Standard Version. Call 1-800-55-GRACE, or visit the website gty.org. 
Now, turning the corner, if you're listening right now in your car, perhaps commuting to or from work, remember, that's happening around the nation today because people are tuning into Grace to You, listening, learning, and growing. And if it describes you, if you're benefiting from our Bible teaching resources, consider making a donation. Please keep that in mind as you write to us today. The mailing address is Grace to You, Post Office Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. Or call... 1-800-55-GRACE. Thanks for mentioning this station's call letters as you get in touch. That's more important than you may realize. And now, for John MacArthur, I'm your host, Carl Miller. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us again tomorrow for another half hour of Unleashing God's Truth, one verse at a time, on Grace to You. Ever get a headache when faced with a big decision? or even a small one? John MacArthur provides some relief tomorrow. Join him then for the next Grace to You.
listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Good morning and welcome. Our second hour of One Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. And to wake up everybody. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back to bed, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred. And the world is in their hands When you teach your children You them the very best you can
the night.
you are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Fell for your first day that I met you. Never dreamed that I ever could forget you. But black and white make a mess when it turns to gray.
Kurt Franklin and before I die. Good morning to you and yours. This is your early morning gospel program. Morning inspirations on this TGIF Friday, 27, 27 minutes past the hour. Hi, this is Savannah Guthrie with an urgent story developing right now in every state and county across America. Despite having more than enough food available in this country, there are nearly 16 million kids, that's one in five children, struggling with hunger. They often don't even know where their next meal is coming from. And the worst part is, this has been going on for years. There's no excuse for it, and that's why Feeding America is doing its best to put an end to childhood hunger. As a nationwide network of food banks, Feeding America engages local communities in solving hunger by collecting surplus food, giving hope to hungry kids and their families all across our nation. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. You can start by going to feedingamerica.org to learn more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. It was a good day when Bill Rasmussen, PR man for the Hartford Whalers hockey team, lost his job. The year was 1978, and now Bill took aim at his real passion, starting a statewide cable channel dedicated to local sports. It was a better day when Bill's friend and eventual business partner suggested he think bigger. Not local cable for local sports, but a national channel for every sport. Today we know Bill's passion as the worldwide network ESPN. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge, and two observations about the out-of-work Mr. Rasmussen. One, he listened to his intuition. Two, he listened to good advice. Who do you listen to in the high calling of our daily work? My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 years old, and I work at a graphic design company, which is funny because I couldn't even draw a stick figure when I was a kid. But I met someone who told me, you know what, you can do anything if you really want to. And if the teenage me were here, she'd tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for big brothers, big sisters. Most kids from my neighborhood don't get into art. They get into trouble. But I was lucky because my big sister showed me early on that I didn't have to be like most people. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this eight-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child, and that can last a lifetime. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. If you want to experience God, you must choose him at all costs. You must be willing to do as Peter did in Matthew 14. Step out of the boat. Risk total failure in the eyes of others. Discover firsthand his power enabling you to walk on the water when Jesus bids you come. Again and again I've been confronted with hard choices when I've had to throw caution to the wind and abandon myself to faith in him and him alone. When I step into a pulpit, when I begin to write, when I commit this ministry to much more than we have resources to underwrite, whenever I choose to step out in obedient faith and trust him, 
I'm actually choosing to take him at his word. Listen to me. Put him to the test. Obey whatever he says. Do it. The result will be the thrilling adventure we call the Christian life. This is Ann Graham Lodge. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Motor vehicle crashes are costly and preventable. More than 2.5 million Americans went to an emergency department for crash injuries in 2012. These injuries totaled $18 billion in lifetime medical costs and an estimated $33 billion in lifetime work loss. While these numbers are disturbing, there are effective measures that can help prevent motor vehicle injuries. State-level changes are especially effective. State officials can consider using proven interventions that increase the use of car seats, booster seats, and seat belts, reduce drinking and driving, and improve teen driver safety. Everyone can use seat belts on every trip, no matter how short. And buckle children in the back seat in age and size appropriate car seats, booster seats, and seat belts. Because Americans take so many car trips, everyone is at risk for motor vehicle injuries. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Satan's methods. There's nothing new. Answers with Ken Ham, whose ministry is building a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati, Ohio. The Apostle Paul warned us about Satan's ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warned the Christians that Satan would use the same tactics he used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how did he trick Eve? Well, he created doubt about God's word, knowing it would lead to unbelief. Did God really say that? Satan asked Eve. You know, that's the same question many Christians ask today about Genesis. Did God really say six days? Did he really say worldwide flood? Did he really say death came after sin? One of the most effective ways to create doubt about God's word is by teaching evolution in millions of years. And Satan knows that if you can get people to question the book of Genesis, which is foundational to the rest of the Bible, then this doubt will ultimately lead to unbelief regarding the rest of Scripture. We need to accept God's words in Genesis and not let the devil use his old tactics to spread skepticism about the entire Bible. Can we really accept the book of Genesis as true history? Did Noah really build an ark to escape a flood? Solid answers are given in our 95-page pocket guide, and for your copy, all you have to do is call us toll-free and make a donation of any amount. 1-888-89-ANSWERS. Today's the last day to call and request the ARC guide. So call 888-89-ANSWERS or go to our website of AnswersOffer.org. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Yes, it's early in the morning on your early morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations here on Talk Show Again Radio. Just want to remind you that we'll be on this weekend starting, at, starting tomorrow night at 10 p.m. for Quiet Storm Inspirations. And then, of course, Sunday morning for your early morning, your early Sunday morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations at 6 a.m. And then, of course, it's Nation Talk at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. All this, all weekend long here on Talk Show and Cam Radio. Good morning. Thank you. 
You are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Trust yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can I say thanks for the things you have? done for me things so undeserved if you gave your very life for the voices of a million nations could not All that I am and ever hope to be, to give it all to thee, to God be the glory, to God. with his 
All right, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.